All right, everyone, welcome back to week five. Thank you for being here. Truly appreciate you guys coming. Um, I do, I do believe I'm a maybe a close third to then dinner and then the everybody at your table. But uh, grateful for you being here. Anyone here for the very first time tonight? Just want to welcome you. I think we have do we have no first time visitors. Okay, I thought we had one, but maybe you're just being shy. I'm not sure. So anyway, tonight we are in. Uh, Session, it's actually section six on how and why to, to uh, read the Bible. Before we get into that, a couple of things real quick. First off, hi, Lauren Homer watching from Phoenix, Arizona tonight. Lauren, thanks for joining us, so you can't be here. Um, Chris told me to tell you that he's actually here. We haven't seen him. We don't know where he is. I'm just kidding. He really is here. But um, we do something at every Alpha and it's really a highlight of the Alpha course. It's called the Alpha Weekend. And it, it's something that is a part of the course. And since we're only doing eight weeks, um, it's going to come, well, it'll, it'll come about the same time. But it's going to be October 28th, Friday night, and the Saturday morning, October 29th. And so Tuesday nights look like, Friday, that Friday night will look like a Tuesday night, and that Saturday morning will look like a, a Tuesday night, except in the morning. It'll be, it'll be light. And uh, great breakfast, so Friday, Friday night dinner, great breakfast, full breakfast. This is why Shoney is out of, Shoney's is out of business, because Pete Shefferstein puts together some amazing breakfast. So now, one of the things that we had to cut out because we had to condense to eight weeks is, is next week's topic, which is how and why should I pray? Now, very difficult. All of these, all of these weeks are difficult to, to cut out, but I want to encourage you to do this. I don't know if you've gone to um, the Lakeview Christian Center YouTube channel, but if you just go to Lakeview Christian Center, New Orleans on YouTube, you will see the Alpha uh, sessions from last time. And you can watch, and I encourage you to watch how and why should we pray. And it's, it's, a, it's a great week. And so since we're not going to be doing it, thought it would be a good idea for you to consider doing that um, since uh, that's not something we're going to be able to, to get to. But I may actually touch on, on it a little bit tonight. So if you've missed previous weeks, you can go to the YouTube channel, or you can go to the Lakeview Christian Center Alpha page. Uh, or we've also got, for those of you who still have CD players, uh, downstairs we, we do a CD. Of, I know people are laughing, CD players. We also have cassette, cassette tapes if you'd like to get a hold of those as well. So tonight, why and how should I read the Bible? Now, many, many years ago, if you'd asked me about the Bible, I would have had no idea. As I told you, I didn't even know what the Bible was until I was a sophomore at LSU. My meology did not require the Bible. It just required my assessment of who God was and my assessment of how good I was. And that's all I needed, um, I thought. Uh, but an understanding of the importance of the God of the Bible requires a knowledge of the Bible. Seems to make sense. Um, and it makes, didn't make sense at the time, but it makes sense to me now. But before I became a follower of Jesus, if you'd have tested me on the Bible, I would have flunked. So I just want to tell you, just show you real quickly um, if there would have been Frank's remedial Bible quiz. So uh, first question why should you read the Bible? 
um, I'll just do what I did on my ACTs. I'll just pass that one and just go to the next one. Um, uh, is Christianity based only on the Bible? That seems kind of narrow, but I'm going to pass on that one as well. Um, number three, in what Bible book is God addressed as the man upstairs? Um, well, I knew that one. That was the gospel according to Garth Brooks, if you remember great song, Unanswered Prayers. Um, so, number four, what book reveals the location of the stairway to heaven? Right? I mean, that's the gospel according to Led Zeppelin. We all know that, right? No? You don't know that. You, you obviously haven't read your Bible. Um, number five, what book reveals the location of the highway to hell? That is the gospel according to ACDC, of course. Come on, you people are biblically illiterate. Okay, true-false question. True-false question. Is Noah's wife's name Joan of Arc? I thought it was true. I, I, I thought it was true. Yeah. Number seven, name the four Gospels. It's like, oh, God. Um, St. John, St. Paul, St. George, and St. Ringo. That's the only thing I could come up with. I just assumed that probably... Okay, test's almost over. Okay, only, I only had one more question. Write three Bible verses you know. Then I remembered, ooh, my mom used to tell me all the time this was in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Did your mother tell you that one? So I was never very close to God because, as my brother could tell you, that was not. Um, here's one. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. I remember that. I don't remember... Who said that? But I, I've come to learn that unless you are heavenly minded, you are of no earthly good. And then the one we've all heard, and I knew this one. God helps those who help themselves. Right? I mean, how many times? Who has not heard that? So I knew that was for sure a Bible verse, which it's not. I found out just the opposite was true. God helps those who realize they cannot help themselves. They are helpless. But then there's always a bonus question. Bonus question. Great, great. Glad to have a bonus question. Bonus question. What Bible verse puts the most fear of God in you? And I had to think. And then it came to me. He sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good so you don't bake. So anyway, that's Frank's remedial Bible quiz. So, so the question is, what is true? Is it true that God helps those that help themselves? Or, or is what the Bible actually says, there is no one righteous, not one. We all have sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God And as I said, when it came to the Bible, because I hadn't read it, because I was a committed meologist, I assumed things about the Bible, and I thought stereotypically. But we don't know what the Bible says. When we don't know what the Bible says, we make assumptions. Here are some of my assumptions. These may have been your assumptions as well. You really can't understand it. 
It's too hard. There's so many different interpretations. I mean, who's to say what is the correct interpretation of the Bible? And, it, and it's so full of errors. I mean, really. I mean, it's just full of a lot of fairy tales and, and, and mistakes. And it's all bad news anyway. And I got enough guilt of my own with the Bible just piling on top of the, the way I feel about my life anyway. But, or my personal favorite as to why we don't read the Bible. We're not supposed to read it. You ever hear that? Really? Where did we get that idea that we're not supposed to read the Bible? We're supposed to leave it to somebody else to read it for us. You know, if Just a very brief examination of the Bible will tell you that is just the opposite of what is true. Let me just, I'll just give you one statement from the Gospel of John. But these are written, scriptures are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, so what, what's important for us to see here? Now, I know you're waiting for me to pull these out quickly. Um, so, for those of you who weren't here last week, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but, so we, we talked about this last week. Now, remember, we talked about we're, we're either plugged into death, remember this, or we're plugged into life. We are born, we get, we get our, our physical umbilical cord is cut when we are born physically, but there's still an invisible spiritual umbilical cord. Remember that crazy thing that I did? There's still a spiritual umbilical cord in us when we are born physically that is plugged into death. And so my identity, my being, being born in Adam, receiving, inheriting the spiritual DNA. I'll get that in a moment. Uh, of, my, of my father, Adam, though I may be alive physically, I am spiritually separated from God and I must receive a new identity so that I will be plugged into life and therefore plugged into God and be ta and taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. So these are written to you so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in him, you no longer have death, you have life that is given to us in his name. And that is so, if what the Bible says is true, it's, a, it's an essential thing for you and me to know. Now, why read the Bible? We're at page 434. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you have read the Bible more in the last four Tuesdays than you have maybe the last four years or four decades? <laughs> uh, now, and I hope, I mean, my question is, has that helped you? How do, how do you feel about how is that? How is that affecting you when you begin to see that, wait a minute, I'm actually, I think I heard from somewhere in this room that somebody read and said, wait a minute, I understand this. It was like, it finally, it went from being Russian to English. You know, like they, under, they began to see it, they read it, and it made sense. Jesus said this, unless you come to me as a little child, you'll not see, you'll not understand what the kingdom of heaven is. And so the Bible is, let me just, I just wrote this, I, and I just thought I would just write it up here on the screen so you could follow. The Bible, 
what is it? It's the written revelation of the mind, the intellect, and the heart of God. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to pull this back. None of us will ever understand God fully. We, we need, do you see that? I mean, if I could understand God fully, how much of a God would he be? Remember, I just barely made it through LSU. How much would God be God if, if, if this was just God is only as high as my ability to understand? That's God. God is so far beyond us. And so, but the Bible is a written revelation of the mind and heart, the intellect and the, and the emotion of God. He wants us to read his story because it includes every one of us. God's story has you in it. That should, that should impress you. That when God writes the story of the scripture, it includes every one of us. He wants us to know him and he wants us to know us. We are introduced in the Bible to his holy character. We talked about that in week three. It says, we are introduced to his holy character. We are also introduced to his righteous anger against the rebellion of all of us against him because of the disobedience of our mom and dad, Adam and Eve, from which we inherited our spiritual DNA. And we see the fulfillment of God's righteous justice and mercy when he sends his son to rescue us by Jesus' becoming the payment for all of our sinful and self-serving rebellion against him. And so the Bible tells us the story of God. It tells us the story of us. And it tells us the story of how God comes to rescue those of us, all of us, born in Adam, to deliver us from death, which is eternal separation from him. And the Bible tells us how we can have life in his name. And if this is true, folks, there's no other news that even comes close to the importance of this. No cure for cancer is as important as this news. Because even if you are healed of cancer, and I know that feeling, I have, I've experienced that personally, I'm still going to die physically. And I need to know the God who, when I die physically, has promised me life in the very life of his son. And that is good news. Now, let's just talk about some, some, some interesting factoids about the Bible. I'll probably run through some of these. But you see at the top of page 34, the Bible is the most popular book. Now, just see here, I'm just going to throw up some, some authors here. Now, we've heard of some of these authors, obviously C.S. Lewis, we've talked about Lewis, uh, J.K. Rowling, kind of a famous author, wouldn't you say? Um, I don't know if Beatrix Potter was related to Harry Potter, I'm not sure, but um, uh, so you, you just see a bunch of people, this, remember the, the Berenstain Bears? I don't know, that's, just, that's, that's about my level of reading. But if you take all of these famous writers that wrote throughout their entire career, that represents about three and a half billion copies sold. Well, if you take copies of the New Testament, pardon me, the, the Bible that were written in the 1990s, just in the 1990s, there were over five billion copies sold alone in the 1990s. Every year, the Bible never makes the New York Times bestseller list because they would be on the, they would be number one every week after every week after every week. The Bible comes, and this doesn't even include 
copies of the Bibles that are given away. This is just copies sold. And so, um, so we can see that the Bible is a very popular book. It's a powerful book in its production, in its purpose, its preservation. This is what George Washington said. He said, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. And then Reagan said, within the covers of the Bible are all the answers for all the problems men face. And so, and there are many more. I've just pulled three quick ones. So its preservation is amazing as well. Historically, this should, you know, the historic preservation of the Bible is fascinating. It's just amazing that we have so much text that keep that gives us not just well i hope this is true i mean we see so many historical facts that are encouraging now we talked about in week two textual criticism you remember that textual criticism and the bibliographical test which is in textual criticism that it's the quantity of manuscripts right how many are there the quality of manuscripts meaning the consistency do the does, do the number of manuscripts that we have, are they all saying the same thing or are they all saying just different things? And then we looked at the time span, the time span between the original autograph and the copies. And we talked about the fact that there's not a book of antiquity that even comes close to the number of copies, the consistency, and the closeness in the time span of the original writing and the copies. So that is a, that is a test that secular science, textual scientists use to determine the validity of any document. Well, when you throw the New Testament in there, it blows away every other document of antiquity, every other work of antiquity. So we, we see that just within the science of textual criticism. Um, archaeology. Now, Nelson Gluck, considered one of the greatest archaeologists in history. He was the president of Hebrew Union College. He wrote this. He said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And then he says, and by the same token, Proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. They form the tesserae, those little tiles, in the vast mosaic of the Bible's almost incredibly correct historic memory. And so we see just through the, the texts that are there, just through archaeological discoveries, things that... for people would say, that, that civilization never existed. Well, just give archaeology enough time, and that's what's happened. Through the years, instead of archaeology disproving the historicity of the Bible, actually it proved and corroborated the history of the Bible. Nelson Gluck used to walk around with a, with a Bible in his back pocket as he would go on archaeological digs. Just that sure he was. And, and there's a... Um, there's a 
there's these periodicals put out called the, Bibli uh, the Biblical Archaeological Review, Archaeology Review, started in 1974, putting six copies out a year. And so, and it just, all it's about is biblical archaeology, the discovery of one more uh, discovery of, of ancient societies after another. And it's a fascinating read if you feel like getting something like that to kind of wet your archaeological whistle if you're interested in that. But something else that's really fascinating is, is prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures from Genesis to the last book of, of the, Old, the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, which is called Malachi. Um, there are over 330 prophecies of a Messiah that is come is to come. And it is, if you, again, I know we can't do this tonight. I'm just going to give you a few of those. But these are all fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Now, the author Peter Stone, in his book called Science Speaks, he talks on the, on the science of probability. Okay, the science of probability. And he says this. He says, one person fulfilling just 48 of the 330 plus prophecies is 10 to the 157th power. So you understand that? 10 with 156 zeros after it. That's the chance. One in that number of per one person fulfilling just 48 of those. Well, let me just break that down a little bit more for us here. Let's just look at eight fulfilled prophecies from the Hebrew scriptures, okay, from the Old Testament. His place of birth, and if, if you want to take a picture of this, you can, certainly you can do anything you want. But, but just if you're interested in looking these up, I don't have time to go through all of these, but his place of birth, his type of birth, the time of his appearance, Jerusalem entrance, his betrayal, the type of death he would suffer, his burial, and his resurrection. You see these. For one person fulfilling just eight of those is 10 to the 17th power. Okay? That's this. This is... 10 with 16 zeros after it. Now, in the book, Peter Stone says 10 to the 17th power would be equivalent to the state of Texas filled two feet deep in silver dollars. And that's an amazing thought to me. I, I still have a hard time seeing that. So, and he says, what you would do is this. You take ten to this. You take one of those silver dollars, and you put an X on it, and you throw it back into, and just have some Texas twister just stir everything up. You blindfold someone, and have them go and pick one of those silver dollars. The chance of them picking that one silver dollar with the X on it is ten to the seventeenth power. And so as we begin to look at this, science, the history of archaeology, prophecies, and then we look at one other thing. I would call it the testimony, the testimony of changed lives. The testimony of peoples whose lives have been 180 degrees turned around when they said, God I'm tired of being a meologist. I have no peace. I have no hope. I need you. I want you. I trust you to come in and change me from the inside out.
So it's a, it's a popular book. It's a powerful book. It's an amazingly preserved book. It's a precious book because it reveals who God is and who we are without him and who God desires for us to be with him. Um, and, here's a, and I love this. God has not called us to check our brains at the door. He's not called us to throw our brains away. He, but he does call us to humbly search from the perspective that he is God and we are not. Um, and, the, and, and I just have to get comfortable with this. Or not. The Bible tells me all I need to know. Not necessarily all I want to know. I'm convinced that there's a lot of things I want to know that if God were to attempt to explain that to me, that would be like a college-level calculus professor explaining calculus to a three-year-old, which I would fall into that category at college calculus. I love what Mark Twain said. Twain said a lot of great things. This is a great Twain quote. He says, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. See? And that really is the case. There's a lot of arguments I'd like to throw up with there, but there's a lot of things. Like, what do I do with that? What do I, how do I deal with this issue or that issue? Well, let's just do a little bit of a multiple choice test right now. Here, it's taken from Matthew 22. So a lawyer, now this lawyer is not you know, necessarily an American lawyer. A lawyer would be one, a Jewish lawyer would be one who is schooled in the law, in the Torah, in in the law of the Hebrew scriptures, in the law of the Old Testament. And this lawyer asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, now, now pay attention to these words. You shall love, don't forget that word, the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, here comes the multiple choice, and with all your Sincerity, enthusiasm, higher consciousness, gut feelings, or mind. Now, when Jesus says, Jesus is quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the great Jewish prayer. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, meaning your whole being, your heart, with your soul, with your, your mind, your will, your emotions, and all of your, what's the answer? The answer is mind. That is right. Correct. And then he goes on to say this. This is the great and foremost commandment. Now, here's something that's interesting. I don't know if I've ever loved anybody with all of me, much less loved God with all of me. It's like the Lord puts out there something that, yes, I want to, but I don't have that in me. Do you know why? I didn't have it in me because if I can get this off of here, I was plugged in. I was plugged into death. I have no capacity to to love God with anything if I'm plugged into death. And the only way I can love him with all of me is I accept 
all of him. And it's he who brings me to that place. I'm going to explain that a little bit more from the Bible in just a couple of, of, couple of moments. And so we can't love God without God. And that may sound crazy. But he gives us the capacity even to love him by plugging us into his life. By plugging us into his life and taking us out of death. It's what, it's what he does. So let's just talk about some quick Bible facts. Maybe you're interested. If you're not, just take a little nap here and I'll wake you in a second. Um, so here's just some historical facts surrounding the Bible. And there's so many more. I mean, but this is just kind of a quick thing that maybe you're interested in. The Bible is comprised of 66 books. There's 37 in the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. And there's 29 in the New Testament. <clears throat> there are 40 authors from various walks of life that wrote the scriptures, according to the Bible, inspired by God's spirit to write them. Across a time span of 1,500 to 1,800 years from Genesis to Revelation written. It consists of narrative history, war stories, drama, exposition, letters, prophecies, sermons, and wisdom literature. It's, it just kind of runs the gamut in terms of the types of things you will read in it. And then it's written on three continents, and then it is written in three different languages. It's written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and, and Greek. Correct. And so we see just a little bit about this. I, again, if you want to know more about this, I can direct you to some some great sources, and we could talk about it a little bit more. But let's just look at a breakdown. You've got this. You, the, your table host will give this to you at the end of the evening. Probably you just see, okay, how does this thing lay out? Well, here's the law, which the Jews call the Torah, okay, or the Pentateuch, okay, one, two, Penta, one, two, three, four, five, the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. Then you have the historical books. You have Joshua, Joshua and the stories of the kings, run through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. When, G when, when uh, Israel had no king, the book of Judges, um, all, all the way through there. Um, then you have the, what would be called the poetry books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. Okay, then we have the major prophets. They're not major because they're better. They're just longer books. And these are shorter books. They're called the minor prophets, uh, just as important. Then the New Testament, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not as I thought they were. And Acts, okay, this is the, the, the Acts are the Acts of the first church, okay, the Acts of Jesus Christ through the first church. This is when Christ is resurrected, ascended, sends his Holy Spirit, and this is what happens after the Holy Spirit comes and the church begins to grow exponentially. And then these are letters. Paul, Paul wrote most of the letters in the New Testament, the epistles, as they're called, epistles, letters, same thing, to those who are in Christ. These are written to the churches in Christ. And then we have general epistles that are here and then followed by the book of Revelation, which everybody wants to know about because they're scared spitless about what's happening in the world today. That's the only reason. And so, so that just, again, just kind of lays out a little bit of the Bible to you. But the Bible tells us in writing what we know internally to be true. There's this sense of good and evil and there's a conscious awareness of that which is right and that which is wrong. It's in us. It's, it's, 
and, we, and it tells, and it, we see through the universe, the creation without and the conscience within, that there's something that is bigger than, than we are. So why should I read the Bible? Well, if true, it holds the answers to the questions of life that we all have. That's why, if it's true. But unless you and I know what it says, we won't know how important it is. Page 35 of your manual. This is what the Apostle Paul writes says. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. Okay, God inspiring the writers to write. It is profitable for this. To teach you, to reprove you, to correct you, and to train you in righteousness. Now, if we're interested in knowing the God of the Bible... We're going to have to know this. If I want God to teach me, to reprove me, to correct me, to train me, I need to know what's in this book. And it's, it's wonderful how God grants revelation. I've been reading this book for 46 years. And I'm still learning. And I'm still, and things I've read a hundred times, I learned something when I read it the hundred first time. It's just more expansive, more glorious than we can even naturally begin to wonder. But the question is this, so why don't I read it? Um, I mean, well, it's big. And where do I start? And how can I know I'm, what I'm reading? Can I tell you? If you say, God, I don't know where to start. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how you understand this, but would you teach me? I know people here at this table, people that are facilitating your table will tell you when they've asked God that question, he, have, he has brought them the revelation of himself, of who he is and how great his love is. And so his desire is to teach and reprove and correct and train. But all of this is loving. None of it is a slap in the back of the head. It's all because he loves us. He desires for us to know him. It's not the picture of religion that I had held in faith. Sincerely, but wrong. That God is kind of hoping that I'm going to screw up. The question is, is this love motivated? And the answer is yes. It teaches me, the Bible teaches me that God bore the anger and the wrath that was reserved for me. There is no greater news than that. No greater news. And so we talked about that. Another thing about the Bible is it's kind of our instruction manual for life. The more we understand this book, God's book, the more we get, this, get an understanding of just how good God is. It's the instruction manual. Any of you guys ever put a bicycle together? A couple of you put a bicycle together? Um, so imagine it's Christmas Eve. You haven't put a bike together for your son or daughter. And, um, you know, what do you do? You just dump everything out on the floor, right? You just put everything out there. You know, it's, it's Christmas night. You may have had a drink or two. Just, you know, it's Christmas Eve. You know, it's what the heck. And um, so you just start putting it all together, right? Because every American knows how to put a bike together. And so you get it together, and there it is, and it looks good. And then all of a sudden, you look over... You know, and you see this piece on the floor. 
And you're trying to figure out where does that go? And then what do you finally do? You look at the instruction manual, of course, which you always are supposed to do last, right? <laughs> and then you see the piece and it says, important. <laughs> this must be placed here early in the assembly or you will have to disassemble the entire bike. So at that moment, I just take the instructions, I quietly place them on the table in my dining room, I walk outside, <laughs> curse you, Mr. Bike Manufacturer. Now, does that make any sense? He gave me the instructions, but I knew better. I'm a meologist. I'm a bikeologist. I, I, I know how to do these things. Oh, no, you don't. You see, when life has a tendency of falling apart and we don't know what's in God's life instruction manual, it's very easy for me to walk outside and go, And maybe every one of us in this room at one point in time or another have done that. Now, does God throw a pity party at that moment? Is God affected at that moment? No. Do you know what happens? According to the God about his love runs to us all the more passionately. It's just like this. I mean, let's say you set your house on fire. Let's say you're just an arsonist. And you just love to light your house on fire. Now, what does the fireman do when a house is on fire? Does it go in the other direction? No, he... Now, but what if it's your house? This is the fifth house you've burned down. What is that fireman going to do? He's going to run to the house. Now, he's going to probably have something to say to you. But, see, I don't know how many proverbial houses I've burned down in my Christian life. But every time I do, the firefighter for my soul runs to me to put out the fire. Always does. Always will. It's who he is. It's what he does. And the biggest fire that continues to rage in our souls is the one that rages that we don't even necessarily feel it as we are still plugged into death and in Adam's family. And Jesus has come to rescue us, to take, away, take us out of this burning building, if you will. You know, the, the biggest issue that we face, I think, is the recognition that we have a need, that until we recognize that we have a need that is bigger than us, this is just information. And you know what? If that's all this is to you, I'm just so grateful you're here that you're just taking in this information. Thank you for that. Um, but no one really seeks passionately until they have or they perceive a need that is bigger than they can fulfill themselves. Um, and that's what the Bible tells us, that we have a need that is bigger and we actually have experience that tells us that as, as well. 
we face needs or we will face needs or circumstances in our lives that are so much bigger than us and we just don't know what to do with those needs. And there's a God that says, I've come here to bring you comfort in the midst of your greatest need. And the greatest need that we all have, according to the Bible, according to what the Word of God says, is I have a need to get out of Adam's family and be placed into God's family. That's the need that I have. But do you sense that need? Let's go back to Niagara Falls. How about that? It's nice last week for those of you who were here. Um, now, remember I said that you could be here at Alpha. You're, you're here, you're either, you're either curious, okay, you're convinced, or you're committed. And I kind of explained to you, curious means I really don't know what I think about all this stuff. I kind of like the people at the table. Uh, I love the food. Uh, and I'm kind of curious. I don't know if I believe this. I don't believe the Bible. I really don't know. This is all brand new to me. And again, thank you so much for being here that way. Or maybe you kind of grew up in the church and you kind of believe this. You know, and uh, you go to church, but you've never heard it quite like this. You're still on that. If you were here last week or if you watched, you know, I just hope my good works outweigh my bad works when I get to heaven and that Jesus is standing next to me. Or I hope God grades on a curve. Uh, you know, all those things that, you know, that we, we talk about. Um, but I don't know that I really how much I buy this. And, and then maybe you said, no, I, I, I've given up being a meologist. I, I, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I believe him. And the example that I shared, for those of you who were here last week, you heard it, that I said that many years ago, a guy by the name of Blondin um, took and strapped, stretched a rope across the, the Niagara, the, the rapids of Niagara, and he did a lot of great stuff on it. People watched him. There was a group of people that were, Annette and I have actually been in that area in Niagara. It was so much fun to, to finally be there talking about this analogy. And he said, I can take a, I take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side to the other. And remember I asked, and I asked somebody, and I said, do you believe it, that I can do that? And and I said, well, wait, and he says, well, wait, before I do that, let me just do this. And he took about 150, 200 pounds, put it in the wheelbarrow and took the wheelbarrow from one side of the rapids, turned around and brought it back. So people saw that he could do it. He says, do you believe I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of Niagara to the other? And he asked that question and one person raised and says, I do. And then what did Blondin say? Then get in. Now, you believe when you get in. Well, let's back up for a minute. Let's say we're all, we're all standing here. Blondin is addressing each of us. Let's just say you're, you are here, I'm here. Blondin's addressing each of us. The, fall, the rapids are to my back. And suddenly, you start to smell smoke. And there begins to be this profuse heat on the back of your neck. And you turn around and the area in which you came in is engulfed in flames. There is no way out. 
and the flames are getting more and more close. I wish I had some music right now. This is really good. (laughs) And I say, or Blondin says, I can take a man, a woman, put him in a wheelbarrow, take him from one side to the next. You probably don't want to come back, so I can take you to the next side. Would you like to get in? Now, it was just a publicity stunt a moment ago where people would pull out their phones hoping you would get in and hoping you would fall in. And they would it'd just go viral on YouTube and they'd make a lot of money. But now it's not a publicity stunt. Now it's a matter of life and death. Now, you can say, get out of the way, Blondin, and you... <laughs> and you get on that tightrope and you're going to tightrope it yourself or you're going to jump and you're going to swim. Uh, nobody survives that. But there is one who has been to the other side and has come back. And his name is Jesus. And he died and he was resurrected. And he came back to say, I can take you out of death and I can place you into life. Do you believe me? When you believe, you say, yes, I do. And when you say, yes, I do, he will always, he will always come in. Now, there's some some issues with this, I think. But I think you understand the analogy that I'm making. So there's two problematic issues here. One is to get in the wheelbarrow, to trust God, to say, I do, like we talked about last week, the marriage analogy, or to receive the gift. I have to cease insisting and desiring that God accept me based on my performance. That's meology. That's every religion of the world. Every religion. Again, don't believe me. Check it out yourself. Every religion in the world except biblical Christianity says it's incumbent upon you to hope you've lived good enough. And none of us do. Not according to the Bible standard. So I have to cease insisting that. God, you have to accept me. You have to make the parts fit even when I don't follow the instructions. Secondly, I no longer accept God based on his performance from my perspective. That's meology too. God, look at all the good stuff I've done and then you let this happen? Really? What kind of a God are you? That that would not fit the Bible. That would make God this big and me this big, yet still I think he's somehow more powerful than I am. And so those are the two problems. i got to cease insisting that God accepts me on my performance. Or, and I've got to stop accepting God based on his performance. Well, what has to happen? I start believing. I get in the wheelbarrow. I say I do. I receive the gift. I start believing and therefore living like God loves and accepts me because of his performance, not mine. 
you see how much pride has to be swallowed here? Do you know as a human, I want to take credit for about as much as I possibly can. And there's no credit to be found in the Bible except one place. One place, and that is not me. So we see here that God speaks relationship. I need to get moving. So his love letter reveals the truth about his character and thereby draws us to him. Here's Paul writes this to the young pastor, Timothy. He says that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That there in this book is found the wisdom that leads to salvation. This book doesn't give you salvation according to Christ gives you salvation. But this tells us about it. It's God's love letter that tells us about how much he loves us and what he did to prove it. He's able to give us wisdom. And the Bible, again, it wants to bring us into that two-way relationship where we are taken from this foreign place and placed into God's life. It's what he wants for us. A couple of scriptures. Here's Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, come to me, all of you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rules. Is that what that says? No, it doesn't say that. I will give you more laws to keep. I will make you more weary. It doesn't say that. If you're weary in your heart, if you're burdened, whatever that is, however you define that, he says, I will give you rest. Now, let me ask you a question. In this crazy world in which we live in, which we're busier than we've ever been before, with more technology than we've ever had, shouldn't we be taking a lot more time off? Shouldn't we be working less? That's not what's happening. This room is filled with weary and burdened people that Jesus has promised to give us rest. And what do we do? We go back to work. We go back to trying to do it our way. God helps those that help themselves, Frank. Don't you understand? He says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, my burden upon you. Learn of me. I'm gentle, humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, if Jesus really said this, this is the, this is the prayer I would hoist up tonight if I were you. Just a suggestion. Hey, God, if this is true, if you'll take my burdens and my weariness, I'll take your rest. If you mean it, would you do that and see what happens? See what happens. See what happens. I can't promise you what's going to happen. Just see what happens. So this is, this, is not a, this is not religious follow the rules, do all the right things. You better be in church. You better not say the wrong things. You better, you know, you better be in all the right places. That is not biblical Christianity. That is dead works-based religion. Jesus says this. The thief comes only. This is all he does. 364, 24-7, 365-24-7. The thief comes only. That's all he does to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Okay? He wants to keep us in death but I've come to give you life and have it more abundantly. He didn't say I came to give you church more abundantly. Nothing wrong with real church. 
I didn't come to give you rules and more rules more abundantly. I've come to give you life like you cannot imagine outside of me. And then I, I, I love this scripture here. I'm rushing through this. Here's Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Crazy church, wild church. Fascinating to to read this. He says this, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us. Okay, how are you in Christ Jesus? Because of him. You're in Christ Jesus. Who became to us? What did he become to us? Wisdom from God. What's the wisdom from God that I need? I need to know that I need to have wisdom to know that I am dead, separated from God And what the Bible says is true, going to be eternally separated from him forever. That's the wisdom he gives. Then righteousness. He gave me righteousness. We talked about what the word righteousness means. It means to be declared not guilty. So in Christ, he has given me the wisdom to receive him. He has declared me not guilty. He has made me the word sanctification, sanctos, holy. He has made me acceptable to him, declaring me holy. And he's given me redemption. What does that mean? Redemption, he's bought me back. I am now his. Not only that, redemption, that when I put off this earth suit, this body, he will redeem me and I will be with him forever. How does that happen? Because of him, therefore, not because of you. Frank Loria, in spite of you. In spite of you. You did nothing to deserve this. Just the opposite, Frank. And yet I loved you so much, I came to get you. See, God is... I'm going to stop here. i got to stop here. But We are made, the Bible says, in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26, I believe, that God said we will make man in our own image. Well, what is the, what is the image of God? Well, the image of God is first and foremost relational. Would you boil down the Bible? If you take this book and you boil it into a word, it would be relationship. God and man. That's what this book is. Let me prove to you that that's true. And it's true of you as well. The most important thing for you is relationship. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you, and I apologize. You were in a funeral home. And you were standing in front of a coffin of the person in the world that means more to you than anything. The most important thing in the world to you. Their lifeless body is in that coffin. Question. What would you not give to have them back? Would you empty your bank account of everything you have? You know you would. And what does that tell us? That there is something inside of us that God created that says we are yearning for connection with someone who can fill us and love us and us them. Another picture. Let's say God is standing over the coffin of lifeless, dead humanity. What would God give that dead humanity could be 
raise to life and experience the joy and the meaning and the purpose that God created them to have. He gave everything. He gave his son. So that lifeless man, you and us, born into death, could have his life. That's what God did. Because as we are in his image, he desires us to have his life. So God directs us to himself. The Bible tells us that, that faith, interesting in the Bible, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God, as we are reading God's word and we're praying, God will give us greater revelation of himself. Now, what we're going to do tonight, too, I'm going to stop right here, but um, how do we hear God speak through the Bible? Well, that's some things that I want you to talk about at your table tonight. Where do I start? How do I do this? Um, it's a lot easier than we think. We just find a quiet place and we realize, Jesus, you are here with me as I read your word. I'm not about something academic here. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to go, oh, I read three chapters of the Bible today. Am I not holy? Now you're stupid. If you're just reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible, just, no, this is God's love letter. I never read one of Annette's love letters to me like, would she hurry up and get over with this? Um, no, I grabbed onto every word. Um, this is God's love letter to us. And this is one of the many ways, the most important way, that we get to know him. Okay, I am done. Now, next week, um, I want to encourage again, if you go to the Lakeview Christian Center um, webpage or YouTube page, watch How and Why Should I Pray. That's a, a session that we're not going to do. Uh, next week, interesting topic. How can I resist evil? What is all this evil in the world? We're going to talk about that next week as well. And I just want to encourage you again, tonight as you lay in your bed going to sleep, God, if you're real, I want to get to know you. I don't want to be a meologist. I confess I'm a sinner and I need you to be my savior. Take him up on his offer of giving us life and life more abundantly. All right, let's take a quick break. Thank you all so much for being here.